you're willing to do your homework, then there's probably a very big opportunity there. But you would have to go beyond the looking at vol historical volatility and implied volatility. You would have to go deeper into a deeper analysis of that security. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. The following podcast contains options-related material. Prior to listening to today's podcast, all listeners should read and familiarize themselves with the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to IBKR Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Praisman, Interactive Broker Senior Trading Education Specialist. It's my pleasure to welcome back the co-founders of Market Chameleon, Will McBride and Dimitri Pagamatic. Hey, guys. How are you? Pretty good. Thank hey, you, Jeff. Thanks for having us. Oh, my pleasure. As always, it's great to have both of you back in the studio. In a previous podcast, episode 53, Understand Option Volume Trends with Market Chameleon, we discussed certain option volume trends. And today we're going to pick up, uh, pick up where we left off and take a deeper dive into the trend categories, as well as what, if anything, has changed in the past three months. When we left off, guys, our, our you know short-dated options were all the rage. Are, are they still the most popular? Uh, yeah. If we look at the total volume typically in a day, you see about 42% of the option volume concentrated in the weeklies, anything that's less than five days to go. Um, but I think what's grabbing a lot of people's attention are those zero DTEs, uh, zero days to expiration options. And they don't exist for every equity. You know, you only have it in a few places, particularly SPY, QQQ. And what we see is that on a given day, more than a third of all the volume in SPY are in those zero DTE options. And I think that actually is a little bit interesting because when we looked at the history of option use, um, typically you saw people buy right, you know, they'd own stock and they would try to make income by selling an option against it two weeks, three weeks, four weeks out, and maybe check on it once a day, you know, every other day or buy a put to protect your position. We also saw people using options around events. We talked about before when there's an earnings event. So they would come in, try to position themselves prior to their earnings and then exit out of it right afterwards. And then that option volume will come down. But what makes the zero DT options interesting is it's a completely different type of trader. And this is a trader, very active, and wants to be flat at the end of the day. And they're looking to trade that day, not carry positions. And the next day they'll come back and trade those zero DTs again. But basically they're just looking to trade those options that will expire today, going out flat at the end of the day. And this actually looks like a pretty active and big group of, of traders out there that is a completely different use of options than we were used to historically. What do you think these traders are doing now? Are they, are they, is it interday positions? Are they using it instead of actually trading the underlying? Well, why are they trading these zero day expiration? Good question. I think that people are starting, trying to start figuring out what are they using these options for? 
what kind of strategies are they using on those zero DTEs? And if we just kind of, you know, step back and look at it from, from day to day, one of the things that the zero DTEs offer them is that without having to carry the positions, they don't have that overnight risk and they don't have the carrying costs. So when you, when you trade it, when you have a position that you have to carry, there is a capital cost to that position, right? You'd have to, you know, put up that capital, either borrow money or whatever you are to carry that position. Here, they don't have to do that and they don't take that overnight gap risk. So when they're using these, these options, what I see is most of it is just concentrated on the strikes right around at the money. Usually it's just single leg option trades. So I think something like 85% of them, they're not, it's not, you know, multi-leg trades. It's usually single leg trades concentrated on strikes that are at the money. And as the stock moves, what we see is they start rotating those positions closer to the strikes around the at the money. It seems like only at the money strikes or even out of the money strikes trade, it seems to account for almost all the volume. It seems like from your research, the at the money stuff might be the short dated and you know the out of the money stuff maybe might be some longer dated stuff, I'm guessing, but it seems like there's very little volume if almost zero for you know in the money items. Basically, that's because of what options offer and what type of exposure you're looking for when you use options. And when we when we look at the options, we do see about 20 percent, you know, somewhere between. Well, maybe it's a little bit wider range, maybe 10 to 20 percent of the options are what I would call tail risk or even lottery style options. These are very cheap options that people will trade that are far out of the money and a low probability of those ever making money. Then you have the speculative options between like the 10 and 25 delta. That's about a quarter of the volume. The rest of it is really around the at the monies where you have a lot of gamma and vega exposure. But I think what happens with the deep in the money options is that when we look at something very deep in the money, there aren't that many strategies for end users using those deep in the money options. Because when you're very far deep in the money, it has what we call like a one delta. It starts to move one for one with the stock. So the stock moves up a dollar, the option moves down up a dollar, stock moves down a dollar, um, the option will move down a dollar in, in the case of a call option. When that happens, really, you know, you don't have any more gamma. There's no more gamma. There's no more theta or premium in there. There's no implied volatility. It just kind of starts to act like a stock. And if somebody wants to exposure for directional risk, then the stock is to is more liquid than that option. So the option will be wider than the than the stock itself in those deep in the money options. So in that case, you're just better off using the stock. But yes, the 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 most popular options will be the ones that are closest to the at the money. You know, we do see options that are more speculative between a 25 delta, 10 delta. And there are there's a decent amount of volume in those 
tail risk options, either out of the money puts or out of the money calls that are cheaper and have a low probability of making a profit, but a potentially high high reward if that hits. Got it, got it. And then kind of taking a step away from just um, strike price and kind of just talking about calls and puts, what does the put call ratio say about where the investors believe a stock is going? That is a popular ratio to look at the put call put call ratio, right? The the open interest in the puts versus the open interest in the calls, or you could look at the volume on the day in the puts versus the volume in the calls. And the assumption there is that puts are bearish bets, calls bullish bets. So and and if you look at the ratio, you could kind of figure out are people more bullish or bearish. But I think that that indicator right now is not really a good indication of that because that's taking all the put open interest, all the put volume versus all the call open interest and call volume. But people don't trade calls and puts that way. So I'll give you an example. If somebody trades a large credit put spread, right? So credit put spread would be, you know, selling one put, buying another put. And if you do it, a credit put spread, you kind of have a bullish outlook. You want the stock to stay above that short strike. But in the put call ratio, it will take all that volume, the entire spread, and it'll look at it as that's bearish. That's those are bearish puts. So when you look at that ratio, it's not a very good indicator because it doesn't does it treats all that volume equally, no matter what the trade was or if it was a multi-leg trade, single leg trade, part of something, you know, it could have been a contingent trade with stock. It just looks at the open interest and treats all of that as bearish in the calls, all as bullish. And of course, that's not how people only use options. And it might not be even at this point, you know, the way I'm looking at the options with all the multi-leg trades and the way people are you know, selling options. I don't even know if the majority of the trades are any are bullish call buying or bearish put buying. So I don't think that that would be a great indicator of sentiment, you know, and I don't think it would be a great indicator of a directional, you know, you know, sentiment because people are not using those options like maybe they did very long time ago. Um, the use cases has changed. And wouldn't it be D with that put call ratio? If if wouldn't the vol? I mean, if it was really things were getting bearish, wouldn't the vols be going up? To, you'd want to make sure the vols are going up too in the market. Yeah, implied volatility would probably be a little bit of a, a better indicator of people's expectations of increased volatility, which create is saying that there's more uncertainty right in the in the markets. So the implied volatility might be even a better indicator of the VIX of people's um, anxiety or, or uncertainty about where that stock, where the market may be going than the put call ratio, unless you could take the trades and slice them out, you know, to really isolate, here's the volume where these are obvious put buyers. Here's the volume where there's obviously call buyers. Maybe if you could compare those and track it, but, taking the number, the total number, 
I don't think it's a it's a good idea. But Will's right. The implied volatility might be even a little bit of a better indicator. Also, the term structure. So when you see an inverted term structure, that's indicating that right now the market sees a lot of uncertainty. And you know, looking at at volumes over the course of you know certainly quite quite a long time at this point, it, it seems like the top ten stocks are are almost fifty percent of the volume right now, and the top one hundred are over eighty percent of the total volume. To me, it seems like a lost opportunity not to trade the full universe of options. You know, in your in your guys' opinion, why? Why are there just certain options that seem to be winning at the volume game and other option classes that are just basically virtually ignored? I think when you, when we look when we look at the volumes and the options, it is very clustered around or concentrated on the most widely held securities. In particular, you know, you'll see SPY, QQQ, and then you'll see some of the top stocks like Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, Netflix. Uh, meta. And I think that the reason is that when people use options as a tool, they typically look at implied volatility. They look at the volatility of a stock. They look at the historical volatility and they'll use the option pricing model to guide them on trading these options. So when we look at single stock equities that are not as widely held, that don't trade as much, don't have as many analysts, what happens is that pricing those options, you start having to do more homework. The volatility is not enough. You need to really understand those stocks better to price that probability distribution. I'll give you an example. Like We just saw what happened to the SVB bank. And prior to this crisis, somebody even tweeted out, hey, I'm looking at this bank and you know I'm seeing issues here. They're, they have all these bonds on their book that with unrealized you know, losses that they're marking to maturity, held to maturity. So they didn't take those losses yet. And, and I'm seeing- that tweet, that tweet was like back in December, right? It may have been last- It was, it was a while long. ago. Right. It was a really while ago. In addition to that, he noticed that there are a lot of withdrawals in the, in the bank, right? So the people were not adding to deposits, they were taking them out. And this created tail risk for that bank, right? All of a sudden, you couldn't price an option just based on its historical volatility. You really needed to know that, hey, there is something going on here, you'd have to do your homework. You'd have to really even know what to look at and how to analyze this particular security to understand that the tail risk of this option is really starting to climb because there is a higher probability every month this continues that this bank could just fail. And that requires you to do a lot more homework, right? To, to price options based on other factors than just the simple inputs that you plug into the Black-Scholes model, right? Because there is no input into the Black-Scholes model of what we were just talking about. You know, you could input implied volatility assumptions, you can put interest rates or dividend, but this, this is something that would involve a much 
you know, higher level, higher sophistication of analysis. And that's why I see, I don't think we see as much volume in those single stock equities, especially that are less liquid and not covered as much by, by analysts. In that, in that particular case, certainly a, would have been a huge opportunity for someone who was willing to do their homework. Exactly. If you're willing to do your homework, then there's probably a very big opportunity there, but you would have to go beyond the looking at vol historical volatility and implied volatility. You would have to go deeper into a deeper analysis of that security. And I want to kind of talk about trade count and, and what that signifies. And, and what I mean by that mm -hmm. is if you see 100,000 contracts trade and you see it as one trade versus you see 100,000 contracts trade and you see it in lots of 100 throughout the course of the day. You, you know, what does that signify to you, um, yeah. to, to you guys? Yeah. So there's a difference between right volume and and number of trades or orders coming in. And sometimes you have a big trade that could be a, a single trade. Somebody wants to buy like a thousand contracts, but that will get split up between multiple exchanges. He'll sweep the exchanges and it could add up to 10 different orders. So really we would group those together and look at it as a, a single trade that got split up, but somebody tried to buy a thousand, you know, he did it, he did it within a millis within milliseconds. It just got, he swept the book on multiple options exchanges. But then there are other orders that could be only for one lot or 10 lot. And what you want to see is, well, what is the typical order size in the security? And, you know, and then you could also monitor the number of orders. So if there are a stock or an equity trades a thousand contracts per day, but if it was only one trade, that means there, there are not that many people interested in because there's only one single trade. But if we see a thousand contracts trade and we saw 500 different orders with you know one lots and two lots, that means a lot of people are probably interested, especially if it's distributed you know, throughout the day equally through different strikes and people are doing different things. That will indicate to us that there are a lot of eyeballs on this particular security, and they're probably trying to do different things according to their unique output. What about notional yep. versus contract volume? So, you know, uh, to kind of phrase it differently, a thousand contracts trade and the notional value is $2,000 versus a thousand contracts trade and the notional value is $10,000. Same number of contracts, but different value. If you could kind of go into that for our listeners as well. When we look at option volume or usual option volume, usually we get top number right a top line number well here's the volume 2000 contracts but that only tells you part of the story and once you start breaking down the volume you could have many stories in there it's kind of think like cpi it's a top line number and if it's going up well what's making it go up right is it food is it energy is it car sales you know so you start breaking it down so one of the things to look at is when you look at the volume if a lot of volume is in very cheap options, like say a penny option, then the notional value or the total dollar invested will be very low. If the thousand contracts are in expensive options or moderately expensive options, then then the notional value will be much bigger. You know, thousand contracts for you know whatever ten ten dollars a contract is much higher in notional value than a thousand contracts for a penny. So what the notional value 
is trying to look at is the dollar volume in the option contracts versus the just the um, just the number of contracts. So it's putting it in terms of dollar value. And then I think we sort of touched on this earlier with the zero dated options and the short term options, as far as they're not available for every product right now. I believe no. just probably ETFs and some indices and yeah, you know I don't think there's any individual stock. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any individual stock that has daily yeah. options at this point. No. What effect has ETFs had on the option volume? And clearly that's one of them. It's interesting with the SPY, because when we started, look, when we look at the option volume, we try to convert the option volume into deltas of these trades. And the deltas of these trades are trying to let us know, well, how much of the stock volume or equity volume can be explained by these active traders in the options volume, right? So we approximate. So if there's very little volume in the options and the stock trades a lot, then the option players have a very little influence on it. If there's a lot of option trades relative to the stock volume, then the option traders can have a lot of influence on that this demand and supply of that stock. When we look at SPY, the SPY options are so liquid that if we counted, if we took every delta of every trade and said that every trade, the somebody hedged that delta using SPY, then the, the volume in SPY would already exceed its average daily volume. In other words, people are using the options and not hedging it instead of the SPY. Right. And a lot of it will have to do in with those zero DTs because at the end of the day, you're just going out flat. Either the option will expire or it'll be in the money, which you could just close out. So what we're seeing as far as options in, in the ETFs, that a lot of traders are opting to just go to the options markets and use the options markets exclusively to gain the exposure to that ETF. What do you guys consider unusual option volume and what are some causes of it? When we talk about unusual option volume, we would have it would be different for each each security, right? So each security kind of has its own volume profile. So SPY trades a lot more on a daily basis than like Wayfair or or Coinbase or you know some other securities. So first, what makes it unusual is that it would have to the volume would have to be much greater than what we typically see. And there are instances where there is seasonality to options volume, like let's say around earnings, the, the volume will pick up. So around earnings, you may, you're going to see more volume than you do on a typical non-earnings day. But even though the volume ticked up, that might not be unusual around earnings, right? So you would have to kind of track the volume and track the volume across different periods and different and different events and try to figure and then by comparing the current volume to historical volume, you could kind of see, well, this is much greater than what we usually see. And then you could kind of try to go in there and figure out what's causing that. And really, events you'll you'll you will see volumes pick up 
you know, people will use options around earnings events, FDA announcements. So those do make the the volumes typically typically they will go up around that. There's some news out there that will make uh, volume go up. But sometimes you just see, you know, a new player coming in, or you know, the Reddit people they they created, you know, their own their own interest in their own stocks, right? And then they that the options exploded around those securities that they were tracking. Yeah, in different sectors, you have different reasons for uh, volume spikes. Like, you know, in the biotech industry, there may be FDA announcements that people right. play around those states. You know, right. and right now you have, you know, we were talking this morning on the morning show, someone was asking for information around Fed activity, right? And all of a right. sudden, that's been something that has led to a lot of participation in the options markets because people are placing positions around the Fed and even trading it in a day. It's it's an ever moving target, what what drives the volume for sure. Takeaways, everyone's you gotta always pay attention, kind of look at the historical reasons and kind of make your own judgments as far as uh, what may or may not be unusual given a certain individual um, option class. So, uh, Will Dimitri, I want to thank you guys for coming by. Um, I want to remind our viewers that Market Chameleon is a frequent contributor to the IBKR campus. To see more education materials from Market Chameleon, go to ibkr.com, click on Education in the top right, and go to IBKR campus. Uh, then click on our contributors and look for Market Chameleon. IBKR clients can also subscribe to Market Chameleon directly through interactive brokers. And another reminder to our listeners that all podcasts can be found on our website under the Education tab or on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Podbeam, Google Podcasts, and Audible. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Jeff Praisman with Interactive Brokers. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary seek professional advice. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Multiple like strategies, including spreads, will incur multiple transaction costs. Any discussion or mention of an ETF is not to be construed as recommendation, promotion, or solicitation. All investors should review and consider associated investment risks, charges, and expenses of the investment company or fund prior to investing. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice.